We appreciate all the men of our church. God bless you so very, very much. Hope that today will be a great day for you. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Please remember there will be no service tonight because of the families getting together. Ezekiel chapter 22. I'd like to uh, read this morning just uh, one verse of scripture and uh, if you've been in the church very long at all, you, you have heard this passage, but it really has import uh, this morning as we consider honoring men and remembering men today. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And I sought for a man. God says, I'm looking for a man among them that should make up the hedge or the empty place, the void place, and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I have found none. But I found none. Listen to this, prerequisites to being a good father. Being a man, functioning as a man, taking responsibility as a man, thinking like a man, acting like a man, working like a man, all of these are prerequisites to being a good father. You will not be a good father until you are a good man. And I want to say that again. You will not be a good father until... You are a good man. And the only way I can be the best man that I can be is to allow Jesus Christ, his lordship, in my life. I've always said this, and I believe this, and I say it to you this morning again, probably for the thousandth time in my life, that if I will be the best follower of Jesus Christ that I possibly can be, I will be the best dad, I will be the best husband, I will be the best employee, I will be the best friend, I will be my best at whatever I do if I follow Jesus Christ with all of my heart. Jesus makes us the best we can be. Being a dad or a father is a dying art today. There are not many in our nation anymore. But there are still good men. There are still men who are faithful to God, to family, faith, to their children, to their work to the concepts of the Bible. There are some wonderful men in our church, and I applaud you, and I appreciate you. And we cannot do what we do in the kingdom without you here at First Assembly. And the truth of the matter is, we can always use several more good men. Listen to this. This is the men's thesaurus. A thesaurus is a, a book much like a dictionary that explains the meaning of words. Here's the men's thesaurus. And, and really, ladies, this is for your benefit to help translate things that you may hear your husband or a man say. 
When a man says it would take too long to explain, he really means this. I have no idea how it works. When a man says, take a break, honey, you are working too hard, he means I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. When a man says, that's interesting, dear, he means, are you still talking? Are we communicating? When a man says it's a guy thing, he means there is no rational thought pattern connected with this and you have no chance at all of making it logical. When a man says, can I help with dinner? He means, why isn't it already done yet? When a man says, uh-oh, sure, honey, yes, dear, he means absolutely nothing. <laughs> when a man says, you know how bad my memory is? He, <laughs> he means, I can remember the theme song to Hogan's Heroes, the phone number of the first girl I ever kissed, and the vehicle identification number of every car I ever owned, but yes, I did forget your birthday. <laughs> when a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself. It's no big deal. He means, I have probably severed a limb, but I will bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt so get over here and help me quick. When a man says, I can't find it. Phyllis, this is just for you. When a man says, I can't find it, he means it didn't fall into my outstretched hands, so I am completely clueless about where it's at. Y'all are enjoying this too much. I worked hard on this. When a man says, I heard you, he means I haven't the foggiest clue what you just said, and I am hoping desperately that I can fake it well enough so that you'll not spend the next three days yelling at me. When a man says, you know, I could never love anyone else, he means, I'm used to the way you yell at me and realize it could be worse. <laughs> when a man says, you look terrific, he means, oh, please don't try on one more outfit. We're late and I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're communicating, aren't we? we? When a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are. He means, no one will ever see us alive again. <laughs> when, when a man says, I don't think I can go today, he means, shopping is not a sport, and no, I am never going to think of it that way. When a, when a man says, I don't remember saying that, it's because he really means, anything I may have said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. When, when a man says, that's not what I meant, he means if something I said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, I meant the other one. If your husband says, and I'm closing with this, 
If your husband says, honey, what color is this? He means all men see in only 16 colors, like Windows default settings. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit, and I have no idea what top is. Taupe. Any of you communicate like that? Well, let's talk about a few good men this morning. A few good men are men who have, number one, learned to lean on the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. Verse 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He, the Lord, shall direct thy paths. What does the word trust mean? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because i got a lot to say and I want to get through with it. Trust is one step beyond faith. You say, Pastor, I thought faith was the greatest thing. Well, trust is is faith amplified. What do you mean by that? Faith is believing God for something. Whether it's a healing, salvation, whether it is uh, a new job, or whether it is a blessing in your family, or, or some help to an individual, whatever it is you're believing God for. But trust is going one step beyond that. And it is saying, God... I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know what the complete outcome will be. But Lord, I am not only believing you to do it, but I'm believing it so much that I'm going to be content and satisfied with the way you answer my prayer. Now I know a lot of us don't like that. Because we want our way. And we want it the way that we've got it envisioned. But trust simply says, God, you are so good and so wonderful and so loving and so kind that I'm going to believe you for the outcome. And it will be your outcome, not mine. Mm. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We lean on the Lord this morning, and as we lean on the Lord today, we are learning to trust God for our salvation, number one. Men struggle with being vulnerable. Vulnerability is something that we don't do good with. It puts us on the spot. It... it, 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 points its finger at us. It, it allows us to be inspected. And, and, and Lord knows we want to we wanna blend in. We want to look at somebody else or some other thing. We don't want the spotlight to be on us. And, 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 and God forbid that we should see the inequities or the faults or the failures or the follies in our own life. But in order to really be a saved man, everybody say saved man. In order to be a saved man, we have got to learn how to be vulnerable to the Lord. And that means I have to be transparent. That means I have to be open. That means I have to be humble. That means I have to submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus. The only way I can ever be saved is to admit that I'm lost. The only way that I can admit that I'm lost is to understand that I am am nothing without Jesus. And so I have to become vulnerable to the Lord. And vulnerability is something that that men don't do well with. Matthew 18.3, Jesus gives us the solution for man's vulnerability, vulnerability problem. And that is, Jesus said, you must become like a little child. Except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? That is God's answer for our issue with being vulnerable 
to anybody. We must decide that we are going to behave and trust and develop an attitude like a small child. Children have an attitude of trust. Even little boys trust their elders, trust their moms, their dads, even their big siblings. Something happens to us once we begin to feel even the slightest amount of thickness in our peach fuzz. And that something is, is that we begin to think that, that we're somebody and we're something and we can't admit that we have somehow or another uh, machoism gets a headlock on us about 16. And dear friend, to be a good man, to be a saved man, is to become as a child before the Lord and accept the fact that we need God's help. I'm glad for the men in our church who have learned to lean on the Lord for their salvation. Good men are not only leaning on the Lord for salvation, they're leaning on the Lord for strength. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31 says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 147 verse 10 says, He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. In other words, he's simply saying the strength of a human man is not something that pleases God. God doesn't take delight in that. What God does take delight in is someone who realizes that without God, we can't do anything. And so we draw our strength from the Lord. We come to the place where we understand that God gives us three things in our lives. Elevation, energy, and spiritual exercise. Elevation, energy, and spiritual exercise. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall what? Mount up with wings like an eagle. Listen, it's hard to fly with eagles if you live with turkeys. You can put a sign over the hen house all day long. A great eagle lives here. But I'm just telling you, if you are... <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? God wants to elevate us. I, I want to say something this morning, and it's, 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 it's not off the cuff. I, I really feel this in my heart. If you want to be more than you are presently, get with Jesus. Get with Jesus. I, I, I got saved when I was six years old. I, I'm 64 years old now, and, and one of the best-looking 64-year-old guys I've ever seen. Uh, That, that was a personal comment that just slipped out. I, I don't know where that came out from. I heard myself saying that. Uh, I just want to tell you something. I grew up on the wrong side of the track. I was a nobody. I experienced sexual abuse when I was just a little small kid, five years old, for three years. Back in the 60s when you didn't talk about such things. My two perpetrators... Both died by the time they were 25 years old, so by the time I grew up, I had nobody to confront when I was ready to deal with it. <clears throat> I've had bad things happen in my life, but the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was Jesus Christ.
I grew up in a home where people lived hand to mouth. Just, just do the best you can, make a poor man's dollar. There was no concept about moving forward or getting out. I am the first person in my immediate family to graduate from high school. I am the first person in my immediate family to go to college and to get a BA, a BA degree. And then I went on and I got a master's degree and now I've got about 60 hours toward a doctorate degree and pray for me that I'll never finish that because I really don't want to have to deal with studying again. I don't want to do that. <laughs> if the Lord will help me, I guess I can do that. But it's not a big deal anymore for me. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't have a silver spoon in my, in my mouth. We had nothing. I'm just telling you, Jesus can elevate you. Jesus can take you and make somebody wonderful out of your life. And I'm not telling you you have to have a lot of money to, to count for anything. You don't. Some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life lived on the wrong side of town. Some of the greatest people I've ever known that had the most power and presence of God just lived in little, small, insignificant homes out in the middle of nowhere. I remember pastoring a, one family there in Searcy, Arkansas in the Panther Creek community. You can imagine what that was like. And now it's a beautiful place, and, and uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know what I was describing, but back then it was just gravel road. And just little, small, insignificant homes and, and uh, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And there was this one couple. They were an older couple. And they knew Jesus. I mean, they had the touch of God on their life, the man and the woman. And when I would walk into that house, it was just, just a humble little house. It, 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 it had... Just beat up hardwood floors, no rugs on the floors, just just old furniture that had been given to them. They they didn't have a lot of the world stuff. But when I'd walk in that house, I felt like I was in the king's house. You know why? Because Jesus was there. God was in that house. There was something about the aura of the presence of the Lord. You don't have to have a lot of the world's stuff. But I am telling you this this morning. If you want to elevate yourself, get on the boat with Jesus. Because He will do nothing but exalt you and lift you up. If you seek Him, He will take your problems and your troubles and He will lift you out of the shadows and set your feet on a solid rock. David said, I cried unto the Lord and He heard me and He helped me and He delivered me out of my trouble and he set my feet he brought me out of the miry clay set my feet upon a solid rock established my goings has put a new song in my heart even praise unto our God and many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord what is David saying David saying I was a little shepherd boy on the backside of Bethlehem keeping my daddy's sheep I had dung all over my feet but I'm here to tell you I met the Lord and the Lord ministered to me and he brought me out out of Bethlehem and he put me in Jerusalem's palace and he made me the king of all of Israel and he caused me to kill giants and he let me do things I never thought I could do and go places I never thought I could go. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God will make you to mount up with the wings of an eagle. I want to preach just a spell this morning. Well, let me hurry on. <laughs> God will give you strength if you'll wait upon Him. The Apostle Paul teaches us to recognize our weaknesses so Christ, through the Holy Spirit, can make up the deficit in your life. Not only should we be good men who lean on the Lord for salvation and strength, but for supernatural supply Anybody that's got good sense knows that we don't have arms long enough to reach sometimes where they need to reach. 
most people, if they really contemplate it, understand that they don't have the brain power to think the things that need to be thought sometimes and to figure things out like they should be figured out. I think most everybody has come to the realization that our resources run out and that we sometimes do not have the appropriate strength nor abilities to meet needs. And in moments like that, in moments like that, we understand we need God. And so we lean on the Lord. We lean on the Lord. Philippians 4.19 is an off-quoted verse of Scripture, and it has been taken out of context. It can be claimed. It can be trusted in. It says this, but my God, Paul saying it, but my God shall supply all of your needs. Who is the your in that story? It is the Philippian believers who have supported Paul with financial offerings. Uh, He is literally saying, because you've blessed my life, you've met my need, you've poured into my ministry, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory. I just want to tell you, if you want your supply met, if you want the needs met in your life, uh, become a tithe payer. Become that person who supports the work of Jesus Christ and missionaries and, and, and the enterprises of the kingdom of God. And if you will do that, God will open the windows of heaven over you and He'll pour out a blessing upon you that you'll not have room enough to contain it nor receive it. Preacher, I can't afford to give 10%. I'm just telling you, you can't afford not to give 10% to God. I learned a long time ago I'd rather have 90% with God's blessing upon it than I had 100% with a curse upon it. God shall supply all of my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. All of us men are innately hunters and gatherers. We want to be the mighty hunter, but ultimately God is our source and men need to see themselves in God's hands. Genesis 22 and 8 tells me about a great man named Abraham who is taking his only son up to Mount Moriah to eventually offer him as a sacrifice to God. The one thing in life that Abraham loved above everything else was his son of promise, Isaac. And God said, give him to me. Do you remember that day when Abraham loaded up the donkey and put the wood and carried the fire and, and the rope and the knife and, and little Isaac was going with him. And his son at the foot of the mountain when they got to Moriah said, Dad, I see the wood, I see the fire, I see, the, I see all the necessary components of the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you didn't have a legitimate answer. Where is the lamb? Where is the final ingredient? Where is that that I need? Where is that that will meet the need? Where is that thing that that I, I, I so desperately need? Isaac said, and he asked the question, and God is asking you this morning, and the world's asking you, where's the lamb? What's going to meet the need? Do you have it? And Abraham, being that man of faith, that man who leaned upon the Lord, said in Genesis 22, verse 8, Isaac, knowing that Isaac was going to be the lamb, Abraham, believing God, said this, Isaac, God will provide Himself a lamb. And when they got up there on Mount Moriah, you remember, Abraham built the altar and put the wood upon it and and, and then he took his son. And I'm sure Isaac didn't quite understand what was going on, but he tied him hand and feet and he laid him on the altar. And he raised the knife, just ready to strike a death blow to his own beloved son. And God stayed his hand and said, Abram, Abraham, look over in the bush. And there in the bush, a ram 
had caught his horns and God said, take him and sacrifice him instead of your son. What a powerful picture of Jesus Christ taking my place and your place. What a powerful picture of God meeting a need in my life when I didn't have what it takes to meet the need. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? God, where is it at? I don't have what it takes. And God says, I'll send my son, my only son, to take your place. Uh, Brother and sister, God can supply our needs if we will yield yield ourselves to Him. If we'll lean on Him, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can think or even ask according to the mighty power that is at work in us. This morning you think, how are my needs going to be met? Let me ask you, get on board today with Jesus and trust Him. And He will supply your needs. Men, who lean on the Lord for salvation. Men who lean on the Lord for strength, for supply. Number two, men who have learned to lead their flesh. Have you learned how to rule over your flesh? Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these, these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. How many of you have realized as a Christian that your body doesn't always want to cooperate with your spirit? Your flesh has another idea about what it wants to do. But a man who leans on the Lord, a good man, learns how to lead his flesh. If I have figured anything out in my living for the Lord, I have learned that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And if my body is telling me to do something, more than likely it's not a good thing. And it's not a godly thing other than to take a drink of water when you're super hot. That's a good thing. Or to stop by McDonald's and pick up a burger when, you, when you're hungry. Yeah. i got to learn how to lead my flesh. I've got to learn how to live in the Spirit. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul is saying, the flesh life that I live is a crucified flesh life. I am on the cross with Jesus. And here's my, here's my word to you this morning. If you're going to lead your flesh, if you're going to live a Spirit-dominated life, you're going to have to stay on the cross every day of your life with Jesus. The cross is God's answer for a victorious life. And so many Christians nowadays, and so many churches, have taken the cross out of Christianity. And as a result, the flesh runs rampant. And we do anything we want to do. Anything, my mom would say anything he's big enough to do. We think we can just get by with a flesh-dominated life and still be a servant of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, to whom you yield your members, you are His servant. If you yield your members to serve the flesh, the flesh is your God. But if you yield yourself to Christ, then Christ is your Lord. And the only way we can stay humble before the Lord and stay in a, in a walk with the Spirit is to get on the cross and stay on the cross with Christ. I crucify my flesh. I must lead my family. Let me tell you, friend, I'm proud of you if you're leading your family to God. God is proud of you. Heaven's angels are applauding you this morning. The world is telling you to follow its course 
and to do whatever you want to do that the flesh says do and, and, and to enjoy life in the sense of if it feels good, do it. But I'm here this morning as a man of God, as your pastor, and as a Christian man who has given most of his life for the Lord Jesus Christ, I am proud of you this morning for standing against the tide of the world. I am proud of you this morning for being counted for Jesus. I am proud of you when you go to work and you say you love Jesus and you live that life out in front of people. I am proud of you when you bring your family to the house of God and you pray with them and you example to them worship and you train them and teach them in the ways of the Word of God and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, uh, friend, I applaud you this morning for leading your families to God. Because most of the world and the men in the world do not do it. Headship, and that's, uh, you know, the Bible says the man is the head. And uh, everybody says, well, I'm the head of my house. Well, if you ever, if you ever find that in the Bible, you, you just need to show it to me. Because it don't say that. That's an IRS term, head of house. That's a filing status. It's not rooted in reality at all. I may be the head of my house, but my wife is the neck that turns the head. I'm a great preacher, ladies. Yeah, this old this old head of house thing, you know. Listen, headship is a God given responsibility. It is not something your wife has to yield to if it's not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. You know, the Bible says, wives obey your husbands. And that's what everybody, well, my wife don't obey me. I, 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 I wouldn't obey you either if you acted the way you act. Come on. The Bible says first, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and this, this won't get it, guys. I heard the story about this fella. He was married 40 years and, 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 and his wife said, baby, don't you love me? And after 40 years, he'd never said uh, that, that he loved her. And, and, and he, this is what he said. He said, don't you remember the day I married you? I told you I loved you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. That will not get it. Husbands, love your wives. But it doesn't stop there. It says, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. L listen, and then it says, ladies, submit yourselves therefore to your husbands as unto the Lord, for it is pleasing to the Lord. I want to say it to you guys, and you can like me or not like me, but you, your argument's with Jesus. It's not with me. Your wife does not have to submit to you unless you are loving her like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. It is an easy thing for a woman to submit to her husband's leadership if that woman's heart fully trusts in her husband, in her spouse, because he has proven time and time and time again that she is secure and safe and provided and loved and appreciated. It's easy to trust somebody like that. But I'm telling you, it's altogether another thing to try to trust in somebody who is constantly dumping on you and putting you down and never saying a good thing about what you do, never appreciating anything that you do. On anniversaries, you, you get a sow's ear. 
Or a new pair of cowboy boots that are too big so your husband can wear them? What'd you get for Christmas? I got a new pair of cowboy boots, but they were too too big for me, but my husband could wear them. I know guys that do that. The hardest thing you will ever do will be a good husband and a good father to your children. I'm going to close, and I really mean it. (laughs) My folks from McAllen, they've heard that a few times. The hardest thing you will ever do in your life is to be a good husband and a good father. Eli, the high priest, the prophet of God, he could run the temple, but he couldn't run his family. David could run a kingdom and conquer other nations and lead men into battle but his family was in disarray I want to say something to you this morning you're not a good man unless you're leading your family to God you say pastor I've made terrible mistakes I I haven't led my family to God well start today start today and lead your family to God start today and become that man that God wants you to be to lead your family to God. I got a nice little note from my son this morning. And uh, he said, Dad, I love you. It wasn't hard for me to be a good dad to my children because I followed your example. I hope that's not fluff. I hope you really meant it because I really tried. I'm like you. I wasn't perfect. I've made mistakes. But my heart's cry was to be an example to my children. to my grandchildren, to my wife, to my family. Be a good man. God's looking for you. Ezekiel said God was looking for good men in his day, but he couldn't find any. Don't let it be said here in Monticello, Arkansas, that God was looking for a few good men and he couldn't find any. I believe he's got a bunch right here at First Assembly that want to be what God wants them to be. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to the end of this service, Lord, I thank you for this day that we celebrate dads and men. And Lord, I thank you for my dad. I thank you for my granddad. I thank you for the many, many Christian men who have spoken into my life and shaped me. I thank you in my formative years when I was just a little boy You put men in my life who touched me for Jesus. I thank you for the concepts of hard work, for accomplishment and a sense of pride in what we do. I thank you for learning the things that I have learned because I've been around great men. Holy Spirit, take these men in this service. Some of these men today are just beginning life, just starting the adult walk. And Lord, I I pray that as they begin, they will understand that God has shaped them and molded them and wants to continue to do that, to use their lives to make a difference for God.
Lord, I'm way down the road now. And I thank You that I can look back and I'm beginning to eat just a whole lot of the fruit of my labor. Decisions that I've made that were good decisions based on the Word of God. And it's blessing me today. Relationships that I poured myself into. God, help us, every one of us in this room, to just keep on understanding that life is not about us. It's about others. It's about Jesus. It's about pouring ourselves into others. And the more we do it, and the more we give ourselves away, the more comes back to us. I thank You, Lord, for the many calls I got yesterday and today from guys, from young men, young preachers. who appreciated my relationship with them. Thank you for letting me mentor so many, many people. Jesus, help all of us to realize that our life is not just about us. It's about you and about others. In the closing moment of this service, how many of our men would stand this morning And as you're standing, you're saying, God, use my life. God, today. Maybe you're just wanting to say, God, today I'm going to start all over. I, I've made a big mess out of things. Or, or, or God, you know I, I, I've been a failure at some things and I haven't done like I should do. But today, God, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going forward from here. And I'm going to count for God. I want to be that good man that you're looking for. That's going to make a difference. To make up a gap. To stand, in a, to stand in a gap and make up a hedge. Don't let it be said, God, that I wasn't, I wasn't found. I want to do it for You, Jesus. I want to be the man You want me to be. And I want to start right now being the best that I can be for You. In Jesus' name. And you just stand all over this building right now as a man of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a servant of the Lord. God's not interested in you yesterday. He's interested in this moment right now and what's going to happen in the future. The past is a ghost that you'll never be able to catch. But today is something you can live and tomorrow is something you can reach for. And I believe with all of my heart, there's men in this building, there's men in this building that God wants to use in a powerful way to make a difference, to build His church and to do and to make a difference in the lives of others. As a man, would you just stand, lift your hands to God with me. And, and I, I, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I want you to pray as I pray and ask the Holy Spirit just to help you become what Jesus wants you to be. Father, I pray for men right now in this room that they will become everything that God wants them to be. The best husband, the best dad, the best granddad. Lord, the best employee, the best friend, the most committed follower of Jesus Christ that they possibly can be. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to enable them, anoint them, enable them to do it in Jesus' name. God, help every one of us to become the image and the likeness of our precious Savior. Change us from the inside out, Lord. Lord, there's men right now standing in this room that, that are going to touch other men for the kingdom. And they're going to help disciple them in this church. Lord, there, there's, there's men this morning that you're going to give an anointing to touch, to touch many, many souls. To be an influencer. Will you just pray that right now that God will loose influence in your life? Pastor, I don't have money. That's not what I'm talking about. God can use anybody that He wants to use. He can give you influence. He can make your voice be heard if you'll use your voice for Him. 
Pray it right now. God, give me influence. Say it out loud. God, give me influence. Give me influence in my home. Give me influence in my community. Give me influence in my family. Give me influence at my work. Give me influence, Lord, around my friends. Give me influence around my enemies. Lord Jesus, I ask you to help me be a witness and an influence for Jesus Christ, for God and for good. I thank you for it, Lord. Now, if everybody in this room will stand and you lift your hands with me, and I want us to go home singing this song. It's a beautiful way to end the service. I surrender all. And I want you to, if you ever sang it, if you ever meant it, mean it this morning. Mean it from your heart. God, use my life to make a difference for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I surrender all. All I surrender all all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender one more time to the Lord and then we're going home. Make it count for God. I surrender. Oh, God, I give you my heart this morning. I, I give you my will this morning, Jesus. I give every part of my life to you. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Heavenly Father, go with us as we leave this place. May we not soon forget the words that Your Holy Spirit has spoke to our hearts. And may we be men and women of God who make a difference for You and Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Hug somebody's neck before you go home. Tell them you love them and appreciate them. Please remember, no service tonight.